What is up? It's a UFC 218 post-fight breakdown analysis and unsolicited thoughts by your uh, host. That's me. I'm Gabron Maciel. This is Life in Jiu-Jitsu fight breakdown. Uh, you know, I said after the UFC 217 breakdown that I wasn't sure if I was going to uh, do more of these, but I had real fun with it. Um, I had a lot of fun with it, and what can I say, jiu-jitsu and MMA is a real passion for me. And what the heck, you know, why the hell not? Um, just a quick word about my credentials, you know, I don't really have <laughs> I don't really have any, so to speak, except that I, you know, I'm always watching MMA. I'm uh, classically trained a little bit in boxing. I, I definitely know what I'm doing in boxing. Uh, probably about five or seven years I've been boxing now. Uh, kickboxing, same five or seven years, still beginner intermediate, you know, not, not a high level, not a high level striker, but, uh, definitely a competent striker. Um, grappling and jujitsu and wrestling is my main area of competency and within mixed martial arts. I'm of course a brown belt in Brazilian jujitsu and a wrestler and, uh, uh, you know, an, an accomplished wrestler in high school and, uh, and, uh, club wrestler in college as well. So, you know, my totality of grappling experience is about 15 years, just so you know, sort of who you're who you're sort of um, listening to an analysis from. Um, also, as a quick note, you know, I'm going to continue to maintain the Facebook page, but the real um, the real focus and emphasis of the, of the continuation of the work here on Life in Jiu-Jitsu is going to be on our webpage, lifeinjujitsu.com, as well as the uh, YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe to Life in Jiu-Jitsu on YouTube. And the reason is that, um, you know, Facebook was a great way to get started talking to my local community uh, here in Jiu-Jitsu. I, I love you. I love you guys all. It's been a wonderful community support for me. Um, I think the goal for, for Life in Jiu-Jitsu is to bring the entire the entirety of the world of Jiu-Jitsu a little bit closer together and to be in conversation directly with, uh, with practitioners across the country and around the world. And I think that YouTube offers a little bit of a better platform to be able to do that with. So, um, so yeah, there'll still be content updates on updates on Facebook, but the YouTube is going to, well, is going to be the focus as, as well as the webpage life in jujitsu.com. Uh, what I'm, what I'm doing today, um, again, building on the webpage concept is I am, uh, I actually wrote out a, um, a breakdown article and that'll include, um, you know, a little bit of text for each fight as well as videos, uh, video analysis, um, links, GIFs, um, a little, a little bit more bells and whistles for, uh, for folks that prefer to read their analyses like a Jack Slack. Um, I think Lawrence Kenson does them as well. So if you want to read your analysis, um, in addition to listening to, uh, in addition, in addition or in supplement to reading them, it's available on uh, lifeinjujitsu.com. It'll be posted shortly. <sighs> All right, um, let's get going. You know, the first the, the first fight that I really started watching was Charles uh, Cowboy Oliveira and uh, Yancey Medeiros. Uh, a lot of these fights, uh, UFC 218, um, God, uh, tough to watch sometimes, weren't they? Um, maybe because I'm getting older or I am simply more aware of the damage that CTE can take on the human brain. Uh, halfway through this fight, I couldn't stop alternating between clapping and cringing. My only real observation, aside from, oh my god, what a fucking fight, is that Cowboy was having significant success in the striking in the open field, uh, tagging Yancey Madero cleanly with his right hand over and over and over again, um, and markedly less success up against the fence. He would have done well to keep the fight in the middle of the octagon, where he was clearly winning the exchanges. Now, I will say that's a lot easier to say in the that's a lot easier to say, um, you know, from an armchair perspective than it is in the heat of battle. Uh, he was. He was in a pretty harrowing contest. Um, he was in a pretty harrowing contest, and it's it's tough to see those sort of things. But 
you know, I think if you look at that fight again, you're going to see that Cowboy's main areas of success was when he was tagging Yancey in the open field. And unfortunately, Yancey did a good job of corralling Cowboy to the fence. And sometimes Cowboy even went to the fence himself to try and fight uh, Yancey uh, with Yancey's uh, back up against the fence. Normally a good thing to do, but I think that you also have to just take stock of of where you are and where you want to go and, and how the exchanges are going for you. Um, Cowboy was winning the fight in the open field, and he um, he worked against himself a little bit there by um, by taking the fight to an area where he you know had significantly less success, which was the ground several times, and up against the cage. These guys are both wonderful fighters, and I'm excited to see what's next for them. Um, hopefully, Cowboy um, will be able to sort of look back and see that he was that he was having success, and then also kind of working against himself. Um, by taking the fight to an area that he didn't have success in, and hopefully that's something that he can uh, maybe be a little bit more aware of in the future. Our next our next fight is um, Paul, the Irish Dragon Felder. Paul Felder is you know a guy that I really enjoy watching uh, watching fight, and uh, Charles Oliveira. Um, you know what else can we say aside from Paul Felder is the real deal? He is not particularly known for his grappling, uh, but he jumped right into Oliveira's guard, who is a high-level black belt, and he just went to work. My other big takeaway from this fight was a little bit of disappointment in Charles Oliveira, to be honest. Jiu-Jitsu and MMA cannot be applied flat on your back, waiting for your opponent to make a mistake anymore. You can't keep waiting for those triangles and arm bars to just happen. Or maybe you can for a little bit. I mean, we did just see this with Ferguson and Kevin Lee. But Oliveira spent several minutes. Oliveira spent several minutes across several rounds looking to throw up a submission from flat on his back, and it just wasn't there. I love a jujitsu fighter. I am a jujitsu guy, but I cannot praise him for his stubbornness. I would love to have seen him sit up to a tr- to a single leg, a double leg attack, in order to pin Felder to the bottom position, where he would have had clearly had an advantage in the grappling. Uh, in short, I'm saying that you know MMA is. Um, is going to require you to have to wrestle your opponent into those positions where you want to have success in your grappling. I think that this is a real cultural problem with jiu-jitsu right now. We are too often happy to rely on the power of the guard, which is an unquestionably powerful tool, rather than grapple our way into dominant positions. Sport jiu-jitsu encourages this also by failing to penalize pulling guard or by dutifully recognizing stalemates and breaking up the action. Oliveira's loss is a product of a certain type of jiu-jitsu mentality that says that it's okay to passively lay on your back to attempt sweeps and submissions. I think that the game is simply too far gone in MMA for that, and the risks you take for invoking that type of game plan are too great from a brain health perspective. Let's also take a moment to appreciate Felder's ground and pound, which gradually wore Oliveira down. I thought it was impressive how he was able to finish him off while all the while looking measured and composed. It could have been easy for him to punch himself out, but instead he just sort of chipped away at the problem. Uh, really an impressive victory for Felder. Um, he jumped right into the fire with Oliveira, hung in there on the ground, was not expected to be able to do so. And, I, you know, I was already a fan, but he earned he earned an, an even bigger fan in, in, in that performance. I, I, I really enjoyed watching that. It reminded me of when Alan Belcher jumped right into the leg lock game with Rusimar Palharis and just went, you know, you know, played footsie with him. Really, really impressive stuff. You know, and... Um, let's move on here to Michelle Watterson and Jessica Torres. Uh, Jessica Torres, stylistically, uh, could not have been more different than the loser of the last fight, Charles Oliveira, by which I mean she was a more insistent fighter. Where Oliveira was passive on his back, Torres was insistent, and she pushed the pace and kept her forehead on Watterson's chest, 
while ripping hooks, pushing her to the fence, and dirty boxing. She was different on the ground too, by which I mean she was completely incompetent. She just didn't really know what she was doing on the ground. Uh, and you know what? That's okay. It works for Torres. I hate to say it, but it, it, it works. It works for her. It's clear that in the spectrum of time allocation decisions, she went all in on a particular style of strength and conditioning striking tra and striking training needed to execute her Mike Tyson-esque style of fighting. Uh, I, again, I'll just say it again. I think that works well for her. She's an impressive fighter, compact and explosive, built to deliver explosive blows and to bob and weave her way in and out of exchanges on the powerful engines of her legs. She's built for punching power through explosive strength and isometric leaps on her feet, not prolonged static squeezing needed for grappling. And some Torres looks like she chose to put most of her training emphasis on strength and conditioning, striking, power, and I think that actually looks pretty good for her. The downside is that her grappling is a pretty atrocious sight. She missed a couple of clear opportunities for triangles and arm bars, and she got bucked off the back of the much smaller Michelle Watterson when she had two hooks fully in. I'm, I'm really happy for, for Torres and impressed by her strike. Her striking really is something, and, and her, her ability to push that pace really is something. She's a contender to watch for sure. Uh, Michelle Watterson looks like she simply got overpowered and lacked the physicality to get the bigger opponent off of her against the fence and in the pocket. Let's remember that karate fighters naturally want to stand at a longer distance to get the kicks and other attacks off. Karate is almost like the fencing of MMA. They want to stand a little bit farther apart, um, and they, they want to sort of leap in and leap out. Um, and so they need some distance for that. It's really hard for a karate fighter to have some success if they're gonna if they're gonna have someone in their in their chest the whole time. You know, Watterson was unable to get the fight to a karate distance, and that spelled her defeat. Clearly outmatched on the feet, I wish Watterson had much had made more of an attempt to get the fight to the ground where she enjoyed a clear competency advantage. A great contest between two remarkable fighters, um, between uh, Watterson and Torres. Uh, just a quick note that Tisha Torres was apparently studying for a master's degree during most of their um, during most of her professional uh, MMA career, and Michelle Watterson is a doting mom to an adorable six-year-old girl. Uh, so these two women are just absolutely amazing people. They uh, managed to balance several areas and aspects of life and uh, several responsibilities and put it all together on fight night. Uh, and I'm excited to watch what's what's next for both of them. They're, they're both just awesome people. Um, moving on here, we have uh, Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje. You know, um, Eddie Alvarez and, and Justin Gaethje had the, the second fight of the year candidate on, on the UFC 218 card. It was another one of those fights where I found myself alternately clapping for the harrowing performance of the contestants, as well as cringing and fearing for the long-term health and safety of the fighters. As of press time, it looks like we got to see some sport and our fighters will be okay. So that's a good thing. With that in mind, I'll offer a few thoughts. Uh, this was what I call like a, a mirror match. It's almost as if the UFC said, hey, we have two of you never-say-die wrestle boxer types that love to slug it out in a brawl. Let's put you two against each other and see who's better at it. And the beauty about a match about matchups like this is that the, familiar, the familiarity of each fighter's style to the other fighter's style um, allows the actual exchanges to unfold deeper into the fight. You get to see a lot more actual fighting. That's my own theory. Fun as the fight was, I have to keep it real here and say that I think that the future of fighting does not look like Eddie Alvarez or Justin Gaethje. 
They're both too content to bite down on their mouthpieces and simply slug it out. Uh, put more simply, how do you think either of these fighters would have done against a highly polished fighter like Connor? Not too well. In fact, we saw how Eddie did against Con against Connor. How do you think either of these guys would do against a highly polished striker like Wonderboy, or Masvidal, or Barboza? I'm worried that the archetypical wrestler boxer, content to bite on his bite down on his mouthpiece and exchange blows in a brawl of attrition, will eventually be in shorter and shorter supply in the upper echelons of MMA as more refined strikers begin to emerge. Uh, more refined strikers also in better control of the distance. I'm not saying that either of them are bad strikers. They're actually excellent strikers. Eddie Alvarez in particular is a very high-level boxer. I'm simply pointing out that the stand-and-bang-at-all-cost game plan will eventually be drubbed out by a more refined approach. Uh, I'm also particularly concerned with Eddie, uh, with Eddie and Gaethje um, uh, as examples that it's almost as if their default mode is to stand and bang and slug and brawl. Like they like that's what they want in order for the fight to unfold in a way that they that they want to that they want to go. And uh, I think that we're going to see less and less of that as the uh, as the game goes on. Whether wrong or right, I think we can all agree that that fight was a treat. Alvarez's ability to endure seemed superhuman as he walked Gaethje down through those leg kicks. Those leg kicks were nasty. Gaethje would have been well served to simply start ripping leg kicks in the third round with no setup. I think it was clear that Alvarez was not going to check them shin to shin. When he did attempt to check them, he seemed to raise his foot but not turn his shin outward, under checking with the meaty part of his of the back of his calf almost, understandably shying away from the shin to shin uh, check. I believe Gaethje could have just started ripping them out in the third with no setup and TKO'd Alvarez. Eddie's ability to endure superhuman. He's an amazing fighter and an inspiration to this writer who shares his working class roots. I hope that I am wrong, but I just don't see a place for him as a, as a high-level champion or a pound-for-pound -pound great. Again, he's too content to simply stand and bang and to simply slug it out. Uh, he's a better version of Leonard Garcia to me. Um, it's almost as if it's his default mode. I, I hope that I'm wrong because I, as I really do want to root for him, but I just worry about the cumulative toll of all these wars and um, and a game plan, you know, that uh, and a game plan that seems built on attrition. I, I, just, I just don't think that's the, what the future of fighting looks like. Uh, Henry Cejudo and Sergio Pettis, uh, there really isn't much to say about this fight. Uh, Pettis simply could not deal with Cejudo's wrestling, and there's no shame in that given Cejudo's pedigree as an Olympic gold medalist. The Pettis brothers both have excellent jiu-jitsu, and in particular an excellent ground game, but Cejudo's wrestling proved to be too much for the younger Pettis. I would have liked to have seen Pettis take a page from Jose Aldo's counter-wrestling playbook. Again, a link referenced in the article on the website, lifeinjujitsu.com. Uh, or even Donald Cerrone's masterful performance of counter-wrestling against Eddie Alvarez, in which Cerrone used strikes with an upward trajectory, such as knees, kicks, and uppercuts, to discourage the wrestler from shooting. Cerrone also did a wonderful job of stopping the takedowns with his hands and forearms, as well as his footwork in this fight, and he made sure to punish Eddie for coming in and to send him along with a strike on the way out. Pettis had some success in the second round, simply ripping kicks to Cejudo's midsection, but was unable to continue doing so once his back hit the canvas. Pettis needs to worry that this doesn't become a blueprint for other fighters to easily beat him in the future, though given his own brother's inability to deal with the similar style, I fear it will increasingly become the wrap for both of the Pettis brothers. They both badly need to shore up this aspect of the game if they want to be relevant in the top 10 of their respective weight classes. As for Cejudo, he looked wonderful, but he didn't necessarily show us anything about him that we didn't already know. 
That is okay as long as he is actually working to round out his game in order to be successful in an almost inevitable second attempt at Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson that will come at some point in uh, at some future point in his career. As a quick aside, I heard in the broadcast that Cejudo had lost his home in a wildfire and among his displaced belongings was his Olympic gold medal. It made me take a mental inventory of if I had a single possession that could possibly have that much meaning attached to it. The answer is no. Life's real beauty is in people and in relationships. It's in love, in community, in spirituality, and in sense of belonging and purpose. Those are the real objects of the highest state of man, by which I mean people, all people. As far as objects go in the earthly realm and the kingdom of man, Olympic gold medal is a tough one to lose. Cejudo is also a generally inspirational dude. He used, his, he used his wrestling to overcome adversity in his childhood and would go on to become an Olympic gold medalist and a UFC world champion contender. He can be an inspiration to us all, and he has my best wishes for his career going forward, but I don't see how he gets past the uncrowned king of MMA, Demetrius Johnson. Uh, moving on to Alistair Overeem and Francis Ngannou. You know, the thing about um, heavyweight fighting is that for me, at least... I can't get past this unshakable feeling that I'm watching the JV team scrimmage amongst itself. That is to say that the talent pool at this, at that physical size has typically been drawn to the higher paying sports such as football or basketball. I mean, come on. How do we think Dwight Howard would do in the UFC heavyweights division today? I think he'd do pretty good. Overeem versus Ngannou was a real treat in that I feel like we are finally starting to see the world's prime athletic talent begin to compete in the UFC's heavyweight divisions. Nganu is simply a scary man, and Overeem is a prime physical talent as well, though his physique has taken quite the roller coaster ride before and after the implementation of USADA, of USADA steroid testing. Another issue with heavyweight fights, for me at least, is that they simply haven't been very exciting for me to watch in the past. The sheer knockout power of the size of those athletes makes for shorter contests, and when they do go long, they are very susceptible to gassing out which is why it's harder for me to have the sustained interest in the UFC's heavyweight division. Nganu, however, is a very compelling character. With his upcoming shot against Stipe Miocic, he has the potential to be the UFC's first Afri African superstar from Cameroon, which would do wonders for their ability to draw viewers from that market. I thought it was interesting in the post-fight press conference, he chose to don traditional African dress for the first time in his public appearances. He is a soft-spoken man of few words, yet something about his intonation his confidence, and his sheer physical appearance make him rather terrifying in a sublime sort of way. In particular, his response to a reporter's query about his confidence in the pocket against the, mo against the more highly decorated st striker in Overeem struck a chord in me. That is the past, Nganu said. I am the present. As for the fight itself, again, there's not much to observe. Overeem is a hitter, but he gets hit too as evidenced by his 14 KO or TKO losses on his, on his Wikipedia page. Let that sink in for a second. This man has been knocked out 14 times in his career. That's not good for you. Nganu jumped into the pocket with him, and he won an exchange. Simple as that. Overeem tried to, tried to get the fight to the floor for a couple of, a, a couple of times, but Nganu proved competent enough in his takedown defense, and more specifically in blocking his hands and forearms, and blocking with his hands and forearms and with his hips, uh, to keep the contest upright. 
Overeem was bobbing and weaving in a classic boxing style, and his head movement looked all right before the contest took a turn for the worse for him. Absent a glaring mistake, it is hard to say what constitutes a technical error in mixed martial arts. The game is so vast that there are often... The game is so vast that what are often perceived by lay people as technical mistakes are simply a matter of choices in how a given fighter navigates the endless possibilities in MMA's decision-making tree of techniques. It has been known for some time now, though, that the classic boxing-style head movement comes with a fair bit of danger to it in MMA contests since there are more weapons in MMA to catch your head when it dips down. One example that comes to mind is Dan the Hangman Hooker's KO of the always game Ross Pearson. Nganu's next fight will be against the champion Stipe Miocic. I believe that what sets Stipe apart from the rest of the heavyweight division is his emphasis in fundamentals and his solid ability to move laterally and punch while doing so. Stipe would be well served to employ his lateral movement, his wrestling, and dirty boxing in his upcoming defense. In his upcoming defense. You don't want to simply stand and bang in the pocket with Nganu, as Alistair Overeem now knows. Lastly, I'd like to simply commend Nganu for using his post-fight interview to call attention to the devastating humanitarian crisis in Libya, in which it was recently reported that migrants seeking to flee to Europe through Libya are being captured and sold at slave markets for as little as $400 today. Nganu summed it up nicely for me. He simply said, fuck slavery. I'm looking forward to his next fight. The last fight was our championship bite. Our last fight was a championship bout between Max Blessed Holloway and Jose Aldo. I hate to say it, but I have um, a real dwindling interest in watching Jose Aldo fight. Uh, he has simply accomplished so much that I don't think he has anything left to prove in there. He's getting older. The weight cut is hard on his body, and he is simply not the dominant champion that he once was. Let's remember he was a champion back in the WC days, and he has stayed relevant across several generations of fighters. He is all out of things to prove. He is all out of things left to prove, except maybe to himself. Aldo's main trouble to me seemed that he had trouble establishing the leg kick, which is a staple to his game and crucial for opening up the Muay Thai exchanges, needed for the fight to unfold in a favorable, ma in a favorable manner for him. Aldo was understandably hesitant to, to throw leg kicks in the second fight because Holloway did such a good job of punishing them in the first fight. Aldo's rare moments of success in the last contest in, you know, in the UFC 218 fight were largely confined to when he could establish his leg kicks. Absent, this, his, absent his cornerstone technique, Aldo was forced to box with the taller, crisper man, and while he made a good go of it, that is not a winning formula. Holloway showed an excellent fight IQ by stifling Aldo's leg kick game and turning the pressure on when the shorter, more muscular fighter inevitably tired from boxing at a distance against the longer opponent. Holloway is the real deal, and he should be recognized as a leader in the overall pound-for-pound -pound rankings. So what's next for Holloway? I don't know, but he immediately took to social media to fire back at a swipe from Connor, who's healthy and, and inexplicably on the shelf. I wouldn't be surprised if Max attempts to chase down a big money fight with King Midas. I mean King Connor. If Max attempts to chase down a big fight with Connor, he will throw the UFC's featherweight division into further disarray. Uh, which is interesting to note that last night's title defense of the featherweight division was the first successful title defense of that particular belt in the three years since Connor won it. Just to just to just goes to illustrate the uh, the havoc that Connor wreaks in the in the weight classes in which he competes. Connor is good for Connor, but he's not good for those weight classes, and he's not good for the UFC's former business model. I mean, you know, maybe you, the UFC's shifting its business model, but he's not good for the UFC's 
you know, previous business model of fostering competitive weight classes and letting the drama within them sort of play out. I'd love to see Holloway defend his title before chasing down a super fight with Connor, especially since that was his first defense, but I can't say that I blame him. Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii congratulated the Hawaiian fighters and Yancey Medeiros and Max Holloway uh, for their victories at UFC 218, a clear illustration of the pride that the Hawaiian fighters take for in being able to fight for their homeland and being recognized by their local leaders uh, for doing so. Thanks for watching and listening with me today. I hope you enjoy listening to these breakdowns and watching along with me as much as I enjoy doing them. Please make sure to check out the website, uh, the website's lifeinjujitsu.com for the full text overview and subscribe to the YouTube channel where the majority of my efforts are going to be going from now on. Again, it's lifeinjujitsu.com and lifeinjujitsu on, uh, on YouTube. Please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Thanks.